Thank you for joining the Leadership Podcast with Sim Dendy. It's great to have you here and to be joined each episode with some inspirational leaders that I know are going to help us all grow in our leadership, creating possibilities through powerful conversations. People inspire people. It's always been that way. It's not about vision statements or impersonal, disembodied organizations. It's not about brands or company shares, but people. There is no real thing as business to business. It's always people to people. Leadership requires human connection through conversations, storytelling, sharing, laughter and tears, people inspiring people. If you want to lead people effectively, you need to begin to connect, to share your ideas, to listen carefully and see what life transforming reality begins to emerge. You will be surprised. So talking about listening carefully, we are joined today by my guest, Cormac Hollingsworth. Cormac is passionate and says he, he says it's his hobby, politics and intrigued by the intersection with faith. He's presently working in the city of London, but also serves on the team supporting the former Prime Minister Gordon Brown in developing policy and financial reform. He sat on numerous boards, committees and think tanks, and for 10 years shared the Hope Not Hate campaign. Thank you so much for joining me today, Cormac. Thanks, Sim. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm humbled to be here, um, and I'm really interested to engage with leadership and the unique challenges of being a leader in a faith community and, and in particular through the lens of being a christian leader really really fascinating looking forward to this chat well, well thank you for this because i mean we just started having a conversation before we recorded this and i thought we mustn't mm. keep recording we must stop and start get the actual live and off we go because you and i've only met recently and I, this is a dangerous game for me because most people i've had on this show i've known for many years and i feel fairly comfortable in who they are and what they do i mean we literally i got invited to a private dinner in the middle of london and to hear some of the stories about uh, you know to be it was with the former prime minister gordon brown and a few other sort of dignitaries and you and i sat together and i just felt a real connection i loved what you were talking about your passion about politics and you described yourself somebody you say you were a cradle catholic um mm. and that politics led you back to faith which i just found a fascinating comment can you tell us a bit more about your journey both with faith and politics and how they've joined together um yeah i i guess um growing up um as irish uh, of irish heritage in the 70s um politics was 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 at the forefront of my lived experience i think uh, i always tell my muslim friends that uh, it does get better um because you know it's uh you know i remember my mum being called a terrorist and uh you know being scared of, of of the cops um you know guilty until proven iris so um i think that how do you explain that to your children and i think my parents always explained it through a political lens and um and i think as well they had spent five years in the us before they came to the uk um and so, and, and had lived through that that that, sort of that tail end of the civil rights movement. Um, you know, they were there when uh, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and and, and so on. So, it, it was very much through that lens uh, that so social action, justice, um, that that things were explained to me. So, I guess that's that's kind of my framework. Then I think. You know, there's, there's, then you, I myself went out into the world, and and the world was changing a lot. And I think, you know, my my message to millennials or or Gen Z is it gets better. 
the 90s were amazing just absolutely amazing and i think um i really i did get involved in student politics it's horrible student politics is horrible it's all personality um but you do make and i made lots of sort of lifelong connections there which are things that i've then pulled on um uh to sort of bootstrap my my way through uh to to where i am now so i i got, I got more engaged i guess um then sort of five years into into working in in finance there was a um a call for people to go into schools in east london to go on the board and i, I went in with it myself i'm I, my background is capital markets went in with a uh, a lawyer from a golden circle law firm I think our first meeting, uh, everyone on the board of trustees were so alienated from us. We were there in the corner talking about bars in, in Tokyo. Um, and I think that's really sort of where my journey and reawakened so many different things. And, and the first thing was to do with politics. Now, I guess the thing that I like to be involved with is impactful and important campaigns, but ones that possibly are not as, uh, you know, don't have the, the size of support that, that perhaps they should have. So I ended up in anti-fascism um, through that journey of, of community uh, activity and and had the privilege of being on the board of Hope Not Hate for 10 years. So um, I guess in the, the that period in the 2000s obviously the bmp were growing in electoral support and what happens when you're an anti-fascist and you go into a community is is first of all that community that is supporting the far right um, those votes by and large tend to be protest votes there's a there's a very low level of trust in um, national government or, or, or local politicians or the local council. So how do you then build a framework to get those people to re-engage? And what I can tell you, and I, I say this to every faith leader, is faith groups and faith organisations, churches, are still very much trusted, are still very much the anchor and the foundation of of community life in communities. Now, there may not be many people who <laughs> go to church every week, but I think they do value and that leadership and concern for what's going on in the community and going out of your churches in, in the appropriate way. We can get into that, but obviously when, when Nazis are there, it, it becomes, it becomes you know, quite urgent. Um, around that, you can build a community support now you've then got to then staff that and that's where the trade unions come in so in a sense um hope not hate has had a very close relationship with the church of england with various bishops um they've been materially um impactful in in defeating the far right over and over again um over the last 20 years and have just been fantastic um and so through that experience of seeing the impact and what churches mean to uh, individuals, 
in communities that are not doing very well and are alienated because of what they feel, I think, quite justified, the lack of attention that they're getting. That's really informed my um, my engagement with my own faith. And, you know, the, the BNP turned up in my constituency. I, I was living in Bermondsey. I now live just at the same distance from the from, from Millwall, but the other side of Millwall. Um, but, and, and, and my parish brief was absolutely brilliant. And uh, there are just those individual acts of, what I would say is, is what, what is your red line? You know, where, what's your line in the sand? Where do your values come out? Uh, and there are points where you go, no, 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 we just can't, uh, this, this can't. And that's very important, I think, in terms of uh, leadership when you're trying to figure out, especially as a faith leader, because mm. no one votes for you, right? Unless you're a Methodist. Uh, no one votes for you, right? It's, it's, you've got to kind of f- figure out how you, how you, um, how you engage and, and lead. And one of those things is, is, I think is very important is to have those red lines. So I saw that, I saw the impact it had, and I began to trust these institutions. And um, yeah, it, 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 it brought me back. I mean, I'm a cradle Catholic, I became lapsed. Um, I love the music, I've always loved the music. You know, that's the great thing about being in the English church rather than the Irish church. The Irish church is, uh, has no music. We can, we can get into the history of why that is, but um, it's got nothing to do with, with leadership. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, I think it, the, for me, my, my sort of faith was, was, was uh, politics first. And then I, I sort of came back. And I think finally, probably just, just, just in terms of where hope not hate, was for the last 10 years is unfortunately faith has been a vector for hate um and so we've tried very very hard to engage and you know obviously we've got this very good relationship with 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 the christian community hope not hate is an alliance with the jewish communities jewish community is critical because anti-semitism is at the root really of all politically politically informed hate Um, but uh, uh, engaging with the Muslim community, the Hindu community, the Sikh community um, has, has been very, very important uh, as well. And so that, that interfaith element, um, and I love going to interfaith meetings, mm. has, has, has really been really important in terms of the strategic objectives of Hope Not Hate. So, so there's, there's many things that, that overlap and all of those experiences has just really, at an emotional level i've just seen god at work in the world Mm. and that's i mean like for for anyone who who is a person of faith when you see god at work uh it's just amazing i love that i I think for many christians and uh people of faith they sometimes get the message that they're not really welcome in the political arena that Mm. somehow these are different things and especially you know you see i guess the view when we, we get a lot of American politics over here and the extremism that you get around, you know, mm. faith and politics and polarization. And maybe in the UK, we watch some of that and we go, is this, you know, we I don't really do politics from my pulpit, but I do do politics on the streets, you know, the sort of the mm. lowercase p in the sense of my engagement. But I guess it's, it's that, at what point does the church need to, you know, you talk about an extreme situation in your local constituency, 
if we're not careful, do churches only respond when there's extreme moments? Or should it be the church on an everyday moment? You know, what, what's mm. the role of the church? Because I've watched, you know, we talked about big society 10 years ago and trying to pull mm. is back into the center ground and that didn't really work. But here we are in this sort of, you know, post-COVID era, the churches are often so much through food banks and other programs. Yeah. What's your kind of thinking around the everyday person, not just faith leaders, but Christians and people of faith in their communities being political in that sort of active sense? So I, th I think there's, there's probably two components to that is, is um, talking about faith and then the importance of, of faith institutions as I see it. Um, so I think um, the biggest failure of every progressive movement is, is they normally start in faith groups and, and the trade union movement is normally an alliance between those those two groups and at some point everyone stops talking about faith because it becomes so normalized that um, these these progressive achievements are then subsumed within the state that we stop talking about the faith that's inspired that and I think th there's a judgment call here right you can't you know bang on about um, uh, you, you can't be extreme, you know, we're English, right? Scottish, you know, but I, I mean, it, 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 you know, there's a, there's a, there's a certain level of, 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 of making your language inclusive because you're trying to build um, uh, sort of a broad-based organisation or, or, or movement to, 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 to make that change possible. But I think our mistake is to not talk about God. And not talk about our faith and how this is i am here because and you know so so you know i ran or helped to run the largest independent remain campaign and part of our criticism of uh, stronger in was it was just not inclusive at all they, they said Here, here's the 15 things you've got to sign up to before you get involved in our campaign whereas in actual fact there's lots of reasons why people come to saying, I want to be in Europe, right? Or I want to stop poverty, or I want to, you know, um, do any sort of social action. And so you should be allowed to talk about your reasons for coming to, to, to be involved. And not only should you be allowed to, but it's, it's really important for people to hear it. Mm. Um, and if you're not in an inclusive campaign, it's not going to work. It's not. It, it just. It just won't get big enough. So, in a sense, um, uh, as long as you're sensible, and you know, I will stop saying this as, at a certain point. Is like you're listening to this podcast, and you're probably quite you know, a sensible person. Let's be honest. You're um, very kind. <laughs> no, 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 no. You are. Um, and 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 I think you've got to talk about why you're here, because everybody knows without everybody turning up change won't happen mm. so knowing that there's someone different with a different view who's turned up here means we're making progress so yeah. there's sort of many reasons why why uh you should talk about your faith when you're in that sort of space um and there, there's been so many progressive gains mm. and we don't talk about the, the faith that inspired that you know uh, the the thing i i love about and it's true about the labor party is is it owes more to methodism than it does to marx right quote unquote 
And um, uh, you look at its process, and everyone from the Methodist Church always sort of pokes me and goes, oh, that, that was in the, <laughs> they took that from us. Um, so, so I think that history is lost to us. Um, we should refresh our memory of it. And on the basis mm. of that, we should have confidence to go out and talk about politics. Then there's a second point, which is the institutions, right? So post-Brexit, from my perspective, we Brexit was a was a was a extraordinary revolutionary moment. Probably the greatest for 300 years in Britain. And as a result, we're bouncing through all of our institutions and we're sort of discovering what are they what what do they mean to us today? Right. So we we've gone through what is the power of the executive? So can Whitehall do things? We've done we've done what was the House of Lords there to do? What is the House? Of, you know, we bounced through all of them. It's been very, very stressful. Um, my and America's done the same with the election of Trump. My sort of upsum is actually our institutions are really strong. If you look at what mm. happened in the in the 1930s, um, in France, in Germany, the, the, the whole the, the politics collapsed, but the institutions collapsed as well. Our politics collapsed post-Brexit. I think they collapsed post-crash. But our institutions have been really, really strong. So where are we now? We can get into um, uh, sort of hunger. But I think people have no idea the historical parallels of where we are, where 8% of our population, you know, um, are going without food. Mm. I mean, the historical par parallels are, we are we are heading into a famine. No one's saying F words, um, but someone of Irish heritage. Hmm. And yeah. and this famine happened, happened when Ireland was part of Britain, right? Mm. Right? Westminster has let this happen before. So, so what is what is the role? So Amartya Sen, uh, incredible academic, Nobel Prize winner uh, of economics. His thesis is that no famine can occur in a functioning democracy. Okay, so Britain's a functioning democracy. What does he mean by a functioning democracy? He doesn't simply mean that people could go and vote. He means that your civic society institutions are there. And so to me, where we are is, are our civic society institutions strong enough to get the message to Westminster and Whitehall to say, something needs to be done, it's broken. And that's what I see coming out of warm welcome. And it's extraordinary. I have never seen anything like this. I wasn't involved in Make Poverty History. Um, so I'd be really interested to know from, from people who were involved what that was like, mm. but it is extraordinary, the grassroots involvement in, in Warm Welcome. And it's, it's huge credit to the leaders and, and people like yourself who've you know, stood up uh, to get involved and commit and take a risk. And it's not party political. I don't think any party right now is, is over this well. I don't think they even know what's no. happening. No. So I, I think I think there's 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 kind of a uh, there's kind of a you know an individual small church thing, but then there's the institution of civic society, and we are being tested. 
And mm. so far, I think we're doing we're doing exceptionally well. But I think I think that's you know in terms of that whole. Um, well, let, well let's, let's, living, let's yeah, yeah let's know, talk I, about. I think I think that's that's that wider context that I would say it's 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 it, we're being tested, and mm. it's brilliant the response so far. So we need to keep going. Yeah, but let's talk about that because you know the reason we met we were having this private dinner and fundraising for, dinner yeah. fundraising dinner um yeah. former prime minister gordon brown came and shared his vision and he talked about some of the challenges we're facing and I, mm. and I remember you saying this thing to me you said to me that you know it's important we do like you just said you know share the why of our christian faith why we do what we do yeah I think some as christians assume that we can't really share that we have to just pretend we're just being nice people no. and i think the world has changed and maybe that was true a few years ago it's not the case anymore Mm. And, and hearing Gordon Brown, who himself, you know, son of a uh, minister of Scotland, mm. um, and he was very overt with his Christian faith, but also very overt with, we've got to do something about this. Um, I'm just yes. reading a book at the moment called The Air We Breathe by uh, Glenn Scrivener, where he talks about okay. the history of of, our, of not just of, of the world, really, and the Christian effect upon humanity mm. around kindness and uh, equality and progress. Mm. And almost hmm. as it's like we're in a goldfish bowl full of water. We don't realize what we're swimming in. It's got so much yeah. Christian roots, like you're saying yeah. there. And so Gordon yeah. Brown kind of back in June, July time suggested to the church works, for those listening who aren't aware of the context, he came and he did a presentation, did a talk to the church works team saying there's a crisis coming. And it probably, mm. it was probably Gordon Brown and Martin Lewis between them that over the summer, you know, waved the flag. There's a problem coming and no one seems to notice while all mm. of that, you know, you know, people in, in government were busy kind of worrying about a leadership campaign that took mm. weeks and weeks and weeks and ended up getting undone within a matter of less weeks, but we won't yeah. go there. Um, we ended up with it, like I say, fundraising dinner, having these conversations, recognizing that there is a need um, for someone to step up and make a change. And there's a, there's a problem coming. And, um, you know, my wife says to me, I'm, I'm often very optimistic. That's my nature. But around the area of cost of crisis, cost of living crisis, I am saying to people, are you, do you understand what's about to happen here? Mm -hmm. And I feel like almost a bit of a doomsday, which is unlike me, but mm -hmm. I just know, and, I'm, and I've got lots of friends who are like me in middle class who just think it will be fine. It will just go over. And I'm like, no, when you get your bill, November, December, you'll suddenly realize this is a problem and everyone's going to be affected. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if you've got none, you've still got none. If you've got a little, you've now got none. If you've got yeah. a lot, you'll just have less. Yep. And I guess my question to you is, you know, we talk about, so the, the idea, because Gordon Brown's idea was, could we have these warm welcome spaces? Mm -hmm. And myself and others have gone off and made that happen. And mm -hmm. I mean, the response from the UK has been incredible. We've got over yeah, 4,000 spaces signed up now. It's incredible. Yeah. Like 70,000 people are getting help each week. Every accessing. week, yeah. And uh, that's, that's phenomenal. And watching mm -hmm. people, not just of faith, people, libraries, you know, different community groups, scout halls, all participating, going, what can we do to help is a stunning moment of community re-engaging. Mm. Mm. Essentially with the Christian principle, loving our neighbor, loving others, mm. you know, so, so what are your thoughts on, on where that's heading? And, and, you know, cause we seem to be starting to starting to grow this idea mm. and it's not even very cold as we're talking in late November. Um, yeah. You know, what are your thoughts? So, on this is going. So yeah, I'm talking there, I'm trying to set the context. Yeah. No, 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 no. So, 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 I, I think there's, there's, there's sort of two components to that, right? So, so the first one is the leadership question of how, how do, you, how do you do that as a leader, right? Okay. Um, so abstracting from it, but, but before, before I go and, and go and do that, let me, let me, let me sort of 
make sort of three points. I mean, the first one is, um, uh, I know this is a Christian podcast, but, um, uh, and I, I just, just to reiterate your point, um, and, and link it back to sort of my, my challenge, right, of, of civic society is, it's everybody, as you say, right? So, so there are, there are mosques, temples, churches, scouts, uh, theatres, um, uh, libraries, it's everybody. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. Um, and, and you were mentioning Carl Beach as well. On the launch of it, uh, 900 different organizations turned up on the, the soft launch, um, which was, was it September sort of, or late August? Yeah. So maybe, maybe early September. And I was amazed because Carl said, and he prepositioned it all, he said, I know everyone's upset that you're having to do this because we all feel that food banks have been normalized now. And now we have to provide a warm space. We can't allow this to be normalized as well. Um, and that, that, that's, that's real politics to me because that's, that's identifying a problem and, and, uh, and articulating it. And I've never really heard um, faith leaders say that before, uh, especially to, to such a huge audience. And I don't think we've solved that problem right so uh i i come back to my sort of sort of uh, lesson from history the the irish famine the great hunger so if you go on wikipedia there's 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 a there's a really striking quote of one vicar going around his community and he writes in in in, in his article that one in 20 uh, won't have anything any food for christmas Right, so 5%. So there's 28 million households in the UK, so 5% is 1.4 million households. Um, so National Institute of Economic Social Research um, in May was predicting 1.5 million households would, uh, the cost of food and energy would be greater than their disposable income. Now, the, uh, the addition of 650 pounds over the summer They've reduced that number to 1.2 million, but 1.2 million, nevertheless. Um, the Food Foundation uh, does does a, does a fantastic. They've got a huge, fantastic resource. So, eight percent of people uh, that they survey and they ask about um, uh, access to food, eight percent of people didn't have food that day, didn't eat that day, and during COVID, it was like 2.3 percent. So. For me, we've we've now reached the point where where, like I say, people 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 are truly going hungry. Now, then, when you dig into it, there's lots of policy responses, right? This is not like um, th 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 there isn't a way to, to to sort of engage with this and 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 and, and in a way mitigate it, not not solve it, but mitigate it, and. I think if you then go back again in, 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 into the Irish famine, there were so many different reasons that politicians came up with, you know, for ignoring it and stuff. And it was that, back to that Amartya Sen point, is just a failure of democracy. And I, I, I think 
you know, right now, Gordon, he wrote an article yesterday focusing on the removal of the, the, the energy support in April. Um, I think all of our fears is that this is not just one winter, right? There are structural problems and there is there is also just, just the immediate problem of just high energy prices and, and uh, what's happening in Ukraine uh, with Russia's invasion. That all of those things mean this may not be the only winter. The potato famine went on for four years. So, so everything's flashing red, really, really, in terms of historical precedence. So I think you're absolutely right. You are not calling Wolf at all. Um, so just, just to that point. Second point about the, the, the abstracting about leadership. So, um, so I think the, the, the first point is, is to identify what the problem is. So in, in whatever context you're going into, whether it's your local community or it's within your church or so on, is to really do the research. I think, I think you were saying about um, bandied around phrases and stuff like this, all of this sort of fluff. Um, and the reason is because, because perhaps it's too difficult to find out or too, too hard to do the research. So, I mean, the, the one thing I, I love uh, working, um, uh, not supporting, I don't, don't, I don't work for God, I just support what he does, is he goes away and he does the work. And he's, it's just his nature, but he will do humongous amounts of research. So he was already in March uh, this year talking about cost of living. And uh, by the time he, he really made his, his, his sort of intervention in August, he had assembled and talked to a huge number of academics who were experts in this and really worked through, you know, what, what was going on. So research is really, really important. Then I think it's about choices. Because once you've identified what the problems are, you've then got to take a decision about what you're going to focus on, right? And that's hard because people can say to you, oh, no, we should do this. We should do that. We should do that. And this is, you know, in a sense where, where, where the leadership comes from is, is what, do we, what are the things we focus on? Um, and so, so that's, that, that was very much that's something that he can, he can very much take some decisions on. The third part is in relationship and building uh, uh, building that that movement and this is why I think I think there's a there's a there's a bigger long-term thing about uh, participation and leadership which I would I would say I would call it solidarity now that, <laughs> that will date me as a you know Gen Xer and you know solidarity in it um, but it's it's uh, you know people will have different words for it, right? But it, but it is about helping other organisations and being involved. I think so many times you can always say, oh no no no, but it's not really my problem. But if everything's transactional, you're never going to get to 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 solve the uh, the, the problem that you have because the problem that you have, you'll probably need other people to be involved. So I think there's there's. There's, there's three parts to it. The first one is really do the research and work on what actually is the problem, what's driving it, and what, what are those vectors. Second one is you have to take some choices about what you're going to focus on. 
And then the third part is, is, is always be relational, always build relationships. And to me, that's, that's about solidarity. And, and, and I, those three things are all combined there because, you know, so, so going to church works was really important for this to happen. Um, so it was, it was Jude um, at the Methodist church who invited Gordon into church work. Now, Gordon had, has done a whole number of things with the Methodist church and, and joint public issues team over the last sort of three or four years. So a relationship has been built up in terms of, you know, them supporting some things that he's he's really focused on, um, that, and that's the sort of joint public issues teams are United Reformed Church, Methodist Church, Baptist Church, and uh, they're also associated with the Church of Scotland, and and so they've supported um, some things that he's done, and he's supported them, uh, you know, when they've asked him uh, for for help and and and. Uh, and sort of um, support mm. so it's out of that relationship that is invisible but something that I can see that, that this whole um, base has has come from and then I think the final thing is um, don't be afraid of failure it's good yeah. Dude, this is incredible what's happening I can I you know like I said I, I was involved building this remain campaign so i know what happens when people say no because we met more concerned remainers on the saturday after the vote who were all just like what what happened you know why didn't we do this and uh, and i was told i couldn't say anything because i just wanted to say you know where were you mm-hmm. right it's too yeah. late yeah. we were all doing this a week ago mm-hmm. so so i've now had the the you know I mean, it's a pleasure. It's incredible to watch a campaign where everyone says yes. And and it's not about the digital of the yes and the no. It's what happens when it all happens. Mm. And I don't know what, what how you describe that. You know, people say the spirit moving. I say serendipity. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's quite extraordinary when you're up on the wave and you're surfing it. Um, but coming back to the relational point is often when you fail is when you build the strongest relationships Mm. and it's, and you learn a lot as well. So, um, in many ways, you know, so, so the daily mirror involved, daily mirror, very close relationship with hope, not hate. They were also involved in, in the remain campaign and supported that so you know obviously you've got a former prime minister who's talking to the editor of the daily mirror as well but you know it's it's probably quite important um but but just in terms of all of those different levels Mm. of relationships and and you know if you ask me how long does it all take i've been involved for 20 years so Mm. be patient as well i think it's probably so so those are sort of abstracting from from this sort of particular emergency situation and, and, you know, how how do you how do you sort of um how, what, what's your framework for, for, yeah. for leadership and and patience is a very good comment because leadership takes sometimes years to see mm. the fruit of your sowing of seeds that's you know many years previously <laughs> i mean you know i remember when we were at that dinner and gordon was speaking 
and I am optimistic. And I thought, you know what, a couple of winters, we'll get this sorted. We'll have just the emergency one. Then we'll have the gun and we're getting it sorted out, the following one. And he said, I think this is going to be four or five winters of of challenge for mm. us to face, which made me flip to, oh, we need to be more strategic than just reactionary. We can't just respond to the need and hope it goes away and put the sticking plaster on. We have to come up with something much more structured. And 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 for those who are listening and want to find out more, I would just say go to warmwelcome.uk, www.warmwelcome.uk. And you can find out all the information there about all the different partners. There's loads of partners, about 40 plus partners involved mm. in helping make this happen. It's not just Cormac and myself. There's a lot of people <laughs> and, and, and involved. Anything but, right? And that's the case, thing. You're, you're much a lot closer of people to involved. it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I want to sort of wrap this up a little bit with um, about future because you know we just like, oh it sounds terrible the future sounds awful i noticed in your twitter bio it says you've referenced a scripture where there's no vision the people perish uh mm. king james version of that scripture and, and encouraging people that if you've got clarity on the future we can run faster what what is it that you get excited about the future when you you know because the moment we can look at all the the present challenges and you know we've been through a whole load of stuff and i talked with carl beach in a previous episode about perma crisis as a word of the year um, mm. but we get re excited about the future. How do we kind of have vision for something fresh? How can we get excited for something that's going to not look like, you know, a worldwide disease or, mm. you know, a kind of cost of living because of invasions in other countries? You know, how do we get excited about what might be coming both politically and also as churches, as, as Christian leaders here on this podcast? Okay. So, um, uh, I had a, an argument at Christmas. I mean, everyone has an argument at Christmas Day, but, but the one time I had a real proper row was Christmas 2016. And it was, you know, um, the, I'd been involved in, in, uh, in the Remain campaign. Probably my worst day as an anti-fascist was Joe Cox's murder. Um, and then Trump um, won. So by the time I got to Christmas and then this, this conspiracy theory, the Jews, the Muslims happened at my dinner table in my house and someone didn't read the flags when I, <laughs> I sort of started to engage. I said sorry afterwards and sent flowers and, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Um, it's very different today. I mean, the authoritarians are having a very, very bad year. This is this is a very bad year for them. So, I mean, Bolsonaro's lost. Um, the the red wave never turned up, and you know, before like you know, you know, um, I like rhinos. You know, Republicans in name only. You know, Liz Cheney, great conservative. I like conservatives and and you know as an anti-fascist what you discover is how few anti-fascists there are in this country and also that it really doesn't matter the cut of their jib right you'll have tories you'll have liberals you'll have you'll have some trots um the non-sort of revolutionary ones and um as well as some labor and trade unionists and they're all just there going no no no, no. we just have to stop the fascists um and you know the chinese uh having a very bad time. Iran's having a very bad time. Um, Qatar, what a waste of $300 billion, right? I mean, what a total mess. Um, so I, I think 
I think there's there's very little that you can point to about anybody who's having a good time. Now that means there's a lot of people suffering, right? So as Christians, that's the thing to pray for. But you know, you know, whatever, whatever you you might think about people's politics and, and so on and so forth, Biden has played a blinder, an absolute blinder. Um, they're spending a ton of money in the US now on green tech. So much that the Europeans right now are in a total panic about it because uh, companies are thinking about moving uh, to the US. So Europe's going to come up with something as well. I think um, we have a lot more political stability in the UK now. Um, and so there's lots of reasons to be hopeful. But I do think in the UK we are at the epicentre of, of, of an, an institutional crisis. And, and you know, Brexit. Brexit is a symptom. It's not. It's not a cause of any, any of this, right? There, there are just some serious, serious issues, and you know we can get into statues and our, you know, post-colonialism and our history and stuff like that. But I've been mentioning our history, right? And, and the point is, is that our history is there for us to learn from. Um, this is this is a great country, you know. I'm very proud to say I'm English, you know, with all of the caveats. Um, so this is a great country and it's proving it right now in all of these 4,000 organizations that are opening up their doors, right? So um, to me, Brexit is an opportunity for us to define who we are. Who are we? You know, who do we want to be? There's a group who's got a very clear idea about what that is, mm -hmm. but is that something we all share? Um, and when we come together from come out, out of our libraries and our theatres and you know meet people from the churches I mean we all like the Sally Army because you know they're 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 very very good I really wish that they would um play um uh stop the cavalry but they never do it, you know but that's my favorite um uh, uh Christmas thing but you know just meeting everybody and I, I I think you know just 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 a just one comment you know, when I was on that launch uh, for Warm Welcome and the production values were just extremely good. And my, my immediate reaction was, thank God the evangelicals have turned up. <laughs> this is just so, <laughs> so good. You know, as a Catholic, I just kind of like, wow. And and I, I, I think the one thing you haven't mentioned that I did say, you know, when we first met is, is celebrate, right? So, so it, it, yeah. it, it's, it's awful what's happening. We're sixth largest economy. India's just passed us, which is fantastic. The sixth largest economy. This shouldn't be happening, right? But we also have really strong institutions who are there. And that's why, you know, England and Britain, Scotland, mm. Wales and Ireland, are such important countries in world history because we do have these strong institutions and we're there to pick up things. You know, in 20 years time, they won't talk about faith groups. They'll talk about, you know, three politicians who, you know, figured it all out. But the reality is, is on the ground right now, it's down to people who are listening to this, that this is happening. So celebrate it, yeah. you know. You know you, we're not quite a Gaudete um, Sunday, yeah. but, you know, when we all buy a pink, that, that's 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 what we're celebrating right and what i find in interfaith 
is is I guess what our view is. We're, we're kingdom Christians, right? Yeah, we 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 are custodians uh, of God's world, God's created world, and everyone who's involved in interfaith has comes to it with that value that. Yeah. This is their God has created this world and it is a good thing and we must support it. And um, uh, that's what we should celebrate because we Mm. are and it's a gift to be able to do that action. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you for dancing around different political agendas and interfaith and the, the, the intersection there between all of those. Thank you for being with us today on this episode. No, Sim, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. I think leadership is really, really important in faith communities and in the Christian community, and it's fantastic you do this. Great. Well, let's remember to celebrate and take uh, Cormac's words to heart. Thank you to you for listening to the Leadership Podcast. If you've enjoyed our conversation today and it's helped you in some way, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you or share on social media so others can join in. You know how it all works. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye.